episode 156 of the A News podcast, which covers anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on Anarchist News. It's, a, it's designed to be useful to anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site with commentary, anarchistnews.org. Editorial on Metaphors. First from Ursula Le Guin. Quote, so when I came to write science fiction novels, I came lugging this great heavy sack of stuff, my carrier bag full of wimps and klutzes, and tiny grains of things smaller than a mustard seed, and intricately woven nets, which when laboriously unknotted are seen to contain one blue pebble, an imperturbably functioning chronometer telling the time on another world, and a mouse's skull, full of beginnings without ends, of initiations, of losses, of transformations and translations, in far more tricks than conflicts, far fewer triumphs than snares and delusions, full of spaceships that get stuck, missions that fail, and people who don't understand, unquote. What I want to talk about in this editorial has to do with language, social life, and shared meaning. It seems clear that the way we speak about things in the world both reflects and influences our feelings towards those things. If we view the world as filled with mostly dead material, as merely the inert remains of past processes sitting around waiting to be used, then we speak of things as objects. We speak of them as separate from ourselves, as resources to be extracted, materials to be worked towards human ends. On the flip side, the idea goes that if we view the world as alive, as filled with living beings from top to bottom, as full of agency and perhaps even consciousness, then we instead treat it as a subject, as something to have a relationship with rather than to dominate. The latter is, of course, the more attractive to me, yet beyond providing the contextless claim that many indigenous languages are action-slash-verb rather than noun-based, the ocean-oceans rather than is-the-ocean, I've struggled to come up with ways to try and practice this idea. I guess there's always borrowing terms or creating your own language from scratch, but I'm not certain that I'm capable of the latter and not about to start the former. So what am I left with? My mind moves to the space of metaphor. The image of Leviathan that Freddie Perlman gives us accomplishes a lot of things, but one of the most important is that it gives us a way to feel a concept in our bodies and begin seeing it in our lives. The image of a worm's corpse, filled with wheels and levers, held up by Zex toiling inside. This visceral description works The way that this image can act as a container for such strong concepts and maps them onto the world I see, not by merely calling out the contemporary bad guy, but by producing an image to be felt and ultimately shared, remains inspiring to me. I also think it's a good model for how we might, bit by bit, image by image, alter our language. In Anarchy Land, it could be said that we already have such containers for concepts, for shared meaning, capitalism, the state, power, authority, etc., these are all containers for concepts that we generally agree are bad, or at least are unpleasant. But the images these terms conjure up are too large, too diverse, too nebulous to really create much more than a weak, knowing nod and wave between most anarchists. And so what I'm searching for is something like more personal, practical metaphors to share between friends, containers shared by, at most, maybe 10 people or perhaps even less. To start creating a shared language not to fling your ultimate critique of the world at the masses in hopes they finally see their chains and rise up, but instead a carrier bag full of images, of stories, of ways of relating to those immediately around you, both human and non. I've yet to come up with one of these metaphors, still waiting to start, and perhaps I don't have the skill or wit to do so at all, but I doubt they would need to be perfect, and ultimately variety, not necessarily widespread understanding, is what I'm after anyway.
Bolo Bolo means that everybody gets stupid again. I wanna get stupid, I wanna get dumb Lose my inhibitions, dizzy from the drugs I wanna get stupid, I wanna get dumb Lose my inhibitions, but I don't trust no one I don't trust no one What's new this week? Statement from anarchist prisoner Juan Alista Vega in Chile. From AMW English, a Chilean anarchist prisoner reflects on the fires in Chile these days. Quote, I speak from here as an enemy of the state in the high security prison with 10 years in prison today and with a previous prison run of 12 years and with a life of continuous struggle. With history and present confronting the state with its dictatorship, capitalism, and its democratic and fascist models. Full and willing, I greet you and I share this little affection that has oxygenated my heart in this territorial revolt as a result of the continuum, the porphyry, the anger, and the rebellion of a new, fresh, reckless, fearless generation with a fertile, hooded face in the fire and street fighting, with lucid scream full of the impossible, able to face and tear down barriers and walls, a breath of hope between misery and social control." There is contact information for those who can write him. It doesn't say this post was translated, so maybe he speaks English. Anarchist Sergei Romanov faces a second prison term from revolutionary action. A lot of news from anarchist prisoners this week. Sergei suggested not sharing information about his case before, since he thought there was no point. Now, however, he is dealing with increased harassment on top of physical ailments. Quote, Sergei refused to say or sign anything, but he is sure that despite the insignificance of the violations, very soon he will be charged with a new criminal case under Article 421 of the Criminal Code, failure to comply with the requirements of preventive oversight, for which he may be arrested or sent to prison for up to one year. Taking into account such a quick reaction to the slightest violation of the supervision regime, which is considered by the court one-sidedly, we can conclude that the cops are inexorably watching Romanov and intend to neutralize him again just in case before the upcoming elections and their repressive actions are politically motivated, not less than the desire to receive material benefits and bonuses and improve statistics on the work done, unquote. Again, sending prisoners mail is one of the most significant ways we can support them, as it's a concrete sign of support, even when the letters are illegible to the prisoner. Just saying. Maria Galindo, giving form to a local anarcho-feminism from Autonomies. Dude, Maria Galindo sounds awesome. It's always weird to hear about someone cool through mainstream media because who knows, right? But there are several taglines here that make me want to have a conversation or two with this woman. Like, quote, We cultivate heterogeneity and conflict as the main ingredients of our daily lives. We are united by our rebellions and we do not constitute an ideological pact, but an ethical pact that is based on concrete practices. One of the elements that brings us together and gives us meaning is that we not only produce ideology in the broadest sense of the word, but we produce something that we have called concrete politics, which are a set of transformative feminist practices, useful and tangible, such as guaranteeing access to a safe and legal abortion. With one hand, we handle the emergencies. With the other, we caress the utopias." Or, quote, on one of the walls of La Virgen de los Deseos, the Virgin of Desires, that magical house of mujeres criendo en La Paz, there is graffiti that says, thinking is highly feminine, unquote. Or, quote, Indians, whores, and lesbians together revolted and in sisterhood, unquote. 
or, quote, in an unprecedented way, this is the expropriation from the state of the concept of parliament. And I like that a lot because the state has historically been expropriating from social movements and categories and processes and everything else. Today, we do it the other way around, unquote, etc. That last could go some nasty ways, but the idea that the state steals from us and immediately makes those stolen tools into things that we cannot touch anymore is particularly provocative for some anarchists. Awesome. And then there's this, quote, I think that the left is in terminal crisis. The idea of absorbing feminist, environmentalist, animalist, indigenous, and other struggles so as to reinvent itself is a failed idea because they incorporate these struggles without changing the paradigm and, out, and without being willing to deepen the debate. They make offers to all of these movements so as to legitimize themselves from a perspective that has expired with the 20th century. Today, it no longer holds. It is not makeup that is missing, but the need to invent new methods, new organizational paradigms. It is necessary to formulate utopias and unleash political practices where they come together collectively." Unquote. So exciting to read something rich, feminist, and contemporary. Anarchist Fugitive, Abtin Parsa in Defense of Armed Resistance, via AMW English, from an anarchist site from a location I can't even guess at, ugly American that I am. This submission briefly tells the story of Abtin's decision to go underground and his continued commitment to armed resistance and defending armed resistors, and argues for unified immigrant actions across international borders. Quote, Since a few days ago, thousands of immigrants are in the border of Greece slash Turkey and try to get inside EU, but the cops and soldiers used war bullets and tear gas against immigrants. While I believe we should not get inside the political game of the states, right now the most useful solidarity to the immigrants who are at the border is to arm them because the answer to bullets should be bullets back, and this is the only way to open the border for all the immigrants. We as immigrants should fight for what we need, and at the moment, our first need is survival. So we must destroy those who are killing us. We have nothing to lose but our fear." Unquote. Legal Defense Fundraiser for Eric King from SupportEricKing.org. Quote, All funds will be held in trust by the law office and used to pay legal costs and fees associated with defending Eric, his principles, and the rights Eric and every prisoner has to live without fear of harassment, abuse, and deprivation at the hands of the state. Unquote. Not much more info than that, but links and his address and a nice pic of him with his new glasses. His letters are sweet and unusually legible. Find out for yourself. No middle ground, either with fascists or with humans. Solidarity to migrants' protest. From Anon, with a YouTube link of 12 minutes of anti-fascism in Greece. The second post this week to reference pastor and theologian Martin Niemöller's confessional that starts out, First They Came For, on the dangers of the slippery slope. Quote, On Saturday, March 7th, 2020, thousands of anarchists, anti-authoritarians, anti-fascists, and people in solidarity in Athens, Greece did exactly that. They chose to speak out in defense of humanity against fascism, in defense of a world without borders, in defense of those who don't have a voice because it has been choked by the tear gas, the guns, and the barbed wire fences at the edge of fortress Europe." Unquote. Solidarity Ghost Blockades in GTA from NorthShore.info Information about so-called ghost blockades, basically like calling in bomb threats without the phone surveillance we have to deal with these days. Quote, activists in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en and other indigenous land defenders have planted harmless signals on train tracks in various parts of the GTA, forcing rail traffic to halt while officials investigate. Trains were stopped, but this time there were no visible activists on the tracks for the police to arrest and intimidate. As police forces escalate their responses to peaceful demonstrations on rails, 
Land defenders and allies are finding ways to send their message without risking police aggression. Railway police and other workers will need to investigate each blockade to deem the tracks safe for further traffic, unquote. Tactics that change with the times. Cool. How to safely run a public blockade from NorthShore.info. Directions and rationale for blockading rail transport. DIY industrial collapse. Section headings are preparation, starting the action, other potential safety layers, holding the site as long as possible, promoting the action, day of action, and more resources. You ready? After 10 years, Lombros Fontes lives in the heart of every fighter from anarchists worldwide. Quote, on March 10, 2010, in Athens, the anarchist and member of revolutionary struggle Lombros Fontes falls dead in an armed clash with the uniformed servants of the state during a preparatory action of the organization. Lombros cannot easily be categorized. He has always been there. He fell fighting as a member of RS, of an organization that came to question the end of the history of urban guerrilla struggle in Greece in a deafening way. Where the broader radical movement fought with all its force so as not to internalize the imposed defeat of the revolutionary struggle by all means. The burial of the revolutionary perspective. In this repression and media delirium, revolutionary struggle with its upgraded operational capability and its anarchist theoretical elaboration raised the bar for revolutionary organizations." Unquote. What will people write on the 10th anniversary of Aragorn's death, do you think? Will we still be around to find out? Call for international solidarity from Squatting Project PSTO Bethlehem, from Anarchists Worldwide. A brief call for solidarity with a squat in Indonesia threatened by actions from the landlords, a Christian university. The building was vacant and ignored for five years, but a month after the squat starts, the university remembers how important it is. Isn't that always the way? Quote, with this, we declare our position to stay in Bethlehem by ignoring the status of land ownership. We were fuck up with all the land grabbing, evictions, and homeless people sleeping on the street. We will seize and reclaim everything because no one is illegal in their own earth, unquote. There's an email and an Instagram address for those who want to know more. Against articulation, declining gender, and refusing all identity. From Anon by Ausonia Calabrese, who seems to have adopted Anarchist News, which is new. Trying to parse out identity versus life and the steps therein, how we communicate ourselves to others and how they communicate ourselves back to us. I think that's what's going on. Chisel's brainwaves for this stuff are even more limited than usual these days. Quote, this same affirmation of the negation is present in the milieu of anti-fascism and post-leftism. Both such categories are dependent on that which they are opposed to for their existence. Therefore, they have no existence of their own. Not phantoms, but parasites. Gender abolitionists, like anti-fascists and post-leftists, chain themselves to their enemy, tying their fates. I will not further speak of milieus. One can refuse gender or they can take it. For my part, I refuse." Unquote. Against the coronavirus and the opportunism of the state, from CrimeThink, reports from Italy about the situation around COVID-19. Quote, March 11th, new stricter measures have been imposed on those who falsify the self-certification to go out. You can be arrested in flagrante delicto and serve up to six years in jail. Furthermore, those who violate quarantine can be charged with manslaughter against public health, while those violating quarantine who exhibit COVID-19 symptoms such as fever and cough, causing the death of elderly people or subjects at risk, could be charged with voluntary manslaughter and jailed up to 21 years. The same applies to those having contacts with COVID-positive people and maintaining social relationships or working with them without taking the necessary precautions or inform others." Unquote. 
perhaps some of us anarchists will be a bit better off, less likely to lose our shit over the idea of the ending of the world as it is? I guess we'll see. Audio and video, 21 years of South Chicago ABC zine distro, two hours from the final straw. Double Sean Swain, woohoo! This is an interview with the two people behind South Chicago Anarchist Black Cross Zine Distro, a project that has been running since 1998. Sean joins in at the beginning, reminiscing on the distro's efforts at spreading the original zine version of Sean and Travis Washington's book, Last Act of the Circus Animals. The largest portion of this episode is, for me, something of an exercise in something like non-judgment, or at least suspension of judgment, as one of the zinesters discusses their politics, which has a lot to do with activism, protest, strikes, and the idea that some people probably need to be isolated from society. Ugh. With most very long-term projects, I imagine the beliefs of the people behind the scenes are not always as interesting as the projects themselves. Distituent Power and Revolution Presentation 34 minutes from Resonance Audio Recorded presentation from an unnamed presenter on Giorgio Agamben and the, and the titular Destituent Power. I want to give the presenter credit for giving a clear, helpful expl explanation of a concept and the history behind that concept. Yet, as with most academic work, which I'm guessing this talk is at least in some way related to their area of study, the concepts and connections involved seem to only be important in that they make one sound clever and authoritative. It remains unclear to me how the idea of destituent power is different from the already fairly well-known concept of no demands, nor does its associated tactic of desertion really seem much different than what would already be called dropping out. In terms of anarchist theory, I find myself most drawn to those people who can give me stories that don't necessarily have tight, immediately intelligible actions as the obvious goal, but I'm also not particularly interested in constantly fleshing out the intellectual pedigree of increasingly specialized concepts. Mutual Exchange Radio, Joel Williamson on Pragmatic Anarchism, an hour and eight minutes from C4SS. Interview with Joel Williamson from Nonservia Media, who, quote, is an individualist anarchist from Texas who has been involved in different activist projects over the years. These projects range from fundraising to support political prisoners, such as Ross Ulbricht, organizing counter-economic farmers markets, and engaging in varied direct action efforts, unquote. As most can probably guess from someone labeled as an individualist anarchist who is, who is appearing on C4SS, Williamson is firmly on the Benjamin Tucker slash mutualist side of that term. I have to say that I'm not quite as allergic to things like market anarchism and even <gasps> anarcho-capitalism as they both live in worlds that will never actually come to be, but I was definitely bored by this episode. Joel and host Zachary discuss the politics behind non-Servia media as well as Joel's general understanding of anarchism, markets, utopia, and, weirdly, Taoism? I'm sure I could find some nugget of interest if I ever really dug into the realm of anarchist economic theory, but when I hear the kinds of conversations that come from the people who have, I push it off a little more. The units Toten, Camp, and Shutting Down Canada with Gord Hill, an hour and seven minutes from Last Born in the Wilderness. This is the second interview with Gord in as many weeks on the topics of Eunice Toten, Oka, and the continuing blockades happening throughout Canada. The content is pretty similar to the From Embers episode we featured last week, with Gord linking the current Canadian government's hesitance to fully crack down on the blockades to the blowback they received after the Oka crisis in 1990. It's always interesting to see the tension that comes up between someone being an elder member of a milieu with context slash background to share, and someone becoming the radical media face of a disparate group of people.
the week. Pandemic! Greetings from the heart of the North America coronavirus pandemic to be. There is no toilet paper on store shelves, not even that big box warehouse store whose own brand shares a name with the city which has seen the most COVID-19 deaths. Wait, is there a conspiracy here? The pasta and canned goods are almost all gone, and don't even think about trying to find hand sanitizer or bottled water. People are panicking at the threat of a major new disease, partly due to media doing what media does, and partly due to valid fears about a relatively unknown virus spreading widely and presumably evolving as it does so. This could be a moment to reflect on the way that technology and globalization almost invite massive outbreaks of disease, but I'll leave that pondering to a different time. What I am curious about is how do or would you respond to a pandemic as an anarchist? There are many examples of anarchist responses to disaster. Common grounds comes to mind, but there are probably many other forms this could take. Do you stockpile food and hunker down? Create networks of affinity and support? It is pretty clear the state is unable or unwilling to provide the actual support people will need. And while not wanting to encourage an activist mindset, I am curious what we do in these moments and why. Greetings, Anarchy Land. I am Ariel here today with Violet, who... Hello. Hello. Um, who we're very, very fortunate because not only is Violet one of my absolute most favorite anarchists, Violet also <laughs> happens to be a med student. And so, um, yeah, looking for interesting, yes, hopefully to bring some interesting perspective. So I don't know if it's my anarchy or not, but I am definitely, I am starting from the place that I am going to get this. I'm going to get on a plane tomorrow and fly oh 3,000 miles. It's, and it's unavoidable. And I'm going to take an excessive amount of precaution, but I'm going to move through an airport and I'm going to be in an enclosed metal cylinder for two hours. And then I'm going to go through another airport and then I'm going to be in an enclosed metal cylinder for three and a half hours. And then I'm going to be in another airport. And, um, yeah, it just mm-hmm. feels like it's better for me to say, okay, I'm going to get this. I'm going to be sick, but I'm, pretty fortunate and pretty privileged. I have really good health insurance. I am mostly a generally healthy person. So that doesn't feel like I'm not concerned. I'm not afraid. Um, so, that, so thinking that way doesn't make the panic worse. No. Yeah. Right. I agree. Yes. Um, I I went into the world today and it's not a thing that I do every day. And I was in three different stores for various reasons. And yeah, this thing about not only is there not toilet paper, there isn't a single paper product on any of the shelves, you know, five or six set shelves high, the length of a long wall in a big box store. And there's not anything, no paper towels, no Kleenex tissues. No, there's nothing. Um, and the extent to which everything is being closed. And so and I'm pretty sure that they're going to cancel travel while I'm gone. I'm flying away. I'll be gone for two weeks. Uh, and so I'm trying to strategize about how do I get back so that I'm not stuck where I am for, you know, whatever, a month or months or whatever. Um, so I guess one of the things, and we talked about this before we started, was that I 
am amazed at the amount of money they're giving up. Like the NBA mm-hmm. shut down. That's so much money. Yeah. Um, one player was sick. They shut down. Right, and that was enough. They shut down. And every team that has played against that player's team in the last five or ten days, they're putting them into quarantine. Mm -hmm. This is fascinating to me. Because this is not how I expect capitalists to behave. Yeah, it's really interesting how much, but at the same time, I mean, people are worried about it. Like, I think the fear of the money is there, um, but it's true. I mean, it's it's shocking the amount is just like, I mean, the, the cancel everything kind of moment is there and it's come up a lot because there are constantly just millions of medical conferences happening all over the world. And so I'm listening to all these doctors talk about like, do we cancel? Do we not cancel? Do we risk, you know? whatever, however many percent of the radiologists in the country having to be quarantined. Um, but then everybody's saying, oh, but we'll lose our deposit if we cancel at this point, you know? So the money part is definitely there for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, something very big was canceled the day before it started, making it impossible for people to get back hotel deposit, you know, forcing people to still have to pay for hotels and, and making... Uh, airline ticket complications uh, a problem and and so then social media was you know blasting this whatever organization institution this event I can't remember what it was now um, for mm-hmm. being so slow to do it um, uh, so um, uh, e3 this this massive electronics expo that brings hundreds of thousands of people. Um, is okay. in June and they canceled already. And yeah, so the, the weight of the cancellation and the public concern and the public health good versus the money. And yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I am. So you sit in a position of medical people talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what are my, what are my wonders? I wonder how much, of what you hear from them, from that, let's say that field contributes to the panic and how much of it your sets off your anarchist, uh, spidey sense Mm -hmm. in terms of whether or not it's bullshit, whether or not it's, uh, propaganda whether or not it's appropriate or you know you just you come with a whole different set of you know knowledge in your to to the question um yeah and so you know you so basically i'm asking the anarchist plus medical background (laughs) this is this this is this is how this is how i'm gonna go a long way around to getting to actually answer the question i like it um so yeah i mean I think the thing that strikes me and I don't like, I don't think that people should like, I don't think panic is a good response, but something that's striking to me is that like smart people that I know who are doctors are freaked out about this. Um, And so that definitely makes me more freaked out about it as like someone who, you know, has a certain amount of training, but is like still at the very beginning of like soon to be doctors. 
Um, and so I have sort of been having conversations with some infectious disease specialists and people who are sort of in constant contact with the CDC and like those people seem freaked out. Hmm. Um, and it's hard to know because a lot of things, I think a lot of it is like the unknown, right? So all of the things that we typically take for granted, like we know how many, you know, we know what the average death rate is for like a seasonal flu. Um, and there's, even though it's unpredictable from year to year, we have like, even if it's a false sense, I think we have a false sense of security of like, I know what this is. I've seen this before. Um, and it doesn't feel like that. And so I think that really throws people. And part of that could just be like the hubris of medicine. We expect to know things. Um, I know doctors don't like to be surprised or deal with things that they don't have like a realm of comfort around. Um, but I think in regards to the second point you made about like, you know, anarchist spidey sense, something that's been really interesting is like talking to some of my like peers and classmates. Um, and I'm sure this is true, like in general of a lot of like non-anarchist folk and how they respond to disaster situations. But I feel like really quickly, like a couple of weeks ago, people started saying things like, why doesn't the government just ban all travel? Like, why are they still letting people come here from the West coast? Um, so something I think is really interesting is like how quickly that like desire for authoritarianism happens for some people. Like we haven't even like, at least where we live, like we live in the Northeast and there are cases where I live, but not a tremendous amount. Um, and nobody has died in my state. And so people really been like kind of going about their daily business regularly, despite the fact that like things are starting to be canceled. But I think like it hasn't touched us in like a really serious way yet, most of us. And yet people are already like, why isn't the government stepping in to like tell me what I can and can't do to make me feel safe? Which I think is really interesting. And I think is a potential sort of response of anarchists if we feel compelled to respond to the situation is to really like push back and question that like desire that people have. Like I want I want authoritarianism. I want someone to be in control. I want someone to tell other people what they can't do. Um, so yeah, I've been hearing a lot of that, which is unpleasant. <laughs> I, so it makes me wonder about two different directions. So one direction, and because of who I am, it's usually the direction that I go, is to embrace the notion that control is an illusion and it's just not possible. And, uh, there are forces that work bigger than you and all you can do is whatever's within your power to mitigate them and, you know, kind of hope for the best. Um, but there is the other line, the other, uh, the other, I say it like these are the only two, which of course is ridiculous. Um, but where, can, can I actually say the words where we attempt to seize control, take control you know, uh, uh, force control, but force isn't really the word that I want. Um, and so it there after nine 11 here in the Bay, there was a massive gathering of at least a hundred, maybe 150 people in a room saying, what do we do now? What can we as anarchists do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, well, I, I, that, I don't think that that room is possible 
anymore. Um, mostly because so many people have left the Bay and because of, uh, um, you know, fractures and sectarianism. Uh, sure. But what, what does it look like for, and this is the, um, this will take us back to the question. Yay. Uh, <laughs> there are many examples of anarchist responses to disaster, but there are probably many other forms this could take. Uh, do you stockpile food and hunker down, create networks of affinity and support? Um, what do we do in these moments and why do we do them? Um, and I think this feels like it comes from an activist place, which is probably not fair or appropriate. So I don't know that I have a good answer to it. My community yeah. of people are definitely talking about um, someone in our immediate household has a compromised immune system just as a baseline. Yeah. So we're talking mm -hmm. about um, when, because when the, when the people who have to go out into the world on the regular basis eventually get sick, how do we protect them? Mm -hmm. Um uh, and I, but I'm not sure what comes next and I'm wondering what you think. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think this is a question that I struggle with as well. And I think like common ground is a really great example of that because I think it's an example of anarchists coming together in a disaster situation, an extreme situation and doing something that like, I think was pretty cool or sounded pretty cool, not having really been of course involved in it, but then the flip side of that is for that entity that existed in that time period to then, you know, be subsumed in the like nonprofit sphere and like how, you know, this thing that was once just a thing that anarchists did has now become a different thing, which that thing isn't necessarily bad, but it's, I think it's probably pretty different than what the original people set out for it to be. And so I think this is always the fear to me when anarchists take on like, for lack of a better term, like, I mean, whether you want to call it mutual aid or, like, social service type work is that that kind of work is, like, needed to be co-opted. Like, it's so hard to keep it something that doesn't become a thing that is subsumed by the state or some other arm of the state. And so that's why I think I feel a little bit more inherently skeptical of that. Um, but I do think that, you know, I mean, I think that the the topic alludes to this, right? Like the government sure is probably taking care of us. And I think there are opportunities for us to take care of each other. But of course, I think that relies on exactly what you're saying. Like, could we get everybody in a room? Probably not because of all of the divides and whatever personal and political things that separate a lot of people. Um, so I don't know that that really answers the question either, but at least in a small scale, like, taking care of our friends um, and thinking about, I mean, I like hate the language of self-care and it's not something that I was usually particularly invested in, but like everybody is now talking about this idea of social distancing, which like is a really sketchy phrase to me. Like I understand of course what it means from a public health perspective, but um, essentially, right. We're like alienating ourselves more than we're already alienated, which I think is like a really hard thing for most people to get through. And so I think perhaps some of the work is like, how do we stay connected to each other and not, you know, be alone and isolated in a really weird and scary time. So I don't think any of that just answered your question, but. <laughs> well, one of the things that you 
the, the idea about the, you know, the 150 people in a room, first of all, I'm not actually sure that that is what we need. Um, because, because I, so if you're, if you're trying to think about how is the state going to fail and where can we pick up that slack, which is kind of what we're talking about. So the the state is going to fail in these really massive ways, right? Um, there's, there, we're not testing as a country. We're not testing. There aren't enough testing kits. They're too hard to get hold too, too hard to get a hold of. Um, people are going through the entire, um, I don't know the gestation period. I'm not sure what the right is, right word is, but my understanding is that you can walk around and carry the virus and not show symptoms for 10 days Mm -hmm. and you're contagious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, yeah. And then you stumble into a hospital and there you are, you may not necessarily get tested. You might just end up getting treated. So I don't have the ability to test people. Um, So I, so I think that everything that we're talking about is what you do before people get sick. Right. Cause, because this is one of those things where if you get it, you're going to have to be hospitalized or it's probably going to kill you. Um, So like, I also well, I think a lot of people will probably have mild disease, like yeah, a relatively mild flu. But if you can't leave your house, I think that leads to whole other complications in how right. people, you know, live for two, three weeks without leaving the house. Sure. So I so regarding the social distancing thing, perhaps how do we more acutely pay attention to and I'm going to use the horrible word community around us mm-hmm. to make sure that people for whatever reasons that they might be isolated, don't feel so isolated. Um, yeah. And you know, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe, you know, go, go stand on your, on your friend's porch and talk to them through their door. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm, from, I'm from the Midwest. We're fond of casseroles, make a casserole and, and <laughs> drop it on their doorstep. Um, right. I'm not a fan of the self-care thing necessarily. I'm, I'm not going to say fan, but I don't talk like that. Um, but yeah. I just, you know, sat and had a conversation with, uh, my friends about, you know, is everybody drinking enough water and everybody needs to be washing their hands and then, and you need to go out and stand in the sun and, um, you know, more, more than you do. And, and, you know, one of our people is a, has a crappy office job. And I was like, can you just like take five minutes longer to walk from your car to your office and stand in the sun for a minute. And, um, those kinds of things. And if you, you know, you don't feel good sleep and, you know, don't push yourself as hard and rest more. And, uh, totally. and, and I think some of this, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, I think that like, absolutely what you said, there are limitations to how we can intervene like medically for people who like don't have a medical background, but I think for people who are in medicine or in healthcare, which I know is maybe not a lot of anarchists, but it's my personal experience. So that's what I always think of. Like something that scares me a lot too, is that if we end up in a situation like what's happening in Italy or even anything remotely close to it, like their hospitals and their basically their entire health system is totally incapacitated, like totally overwhelmed. To the point where doctors in Italy are actually like rationing who to treat, yeah, <laughs> um, which is wild to think about. But it also means that 
anyone who's ill who doesn't have coronavirus is having really limited access to medical care. Right. And so, like, to the extent that our, like, health system or, like, you know, people who have some degree of health knowledge, even if it's lay people, like, to the extent that we can try to, like, keep taking care of people who just need general medical care, like, that's super important, too. Like, we don't want a situation where people, you know, can't get their insulin because, you know, the entire hospital system is overwhelmed with people with coronavirus. And, like, that can even be small things, like, you know, making sure, you know, if you know older folks, making sure they get their meds. Like, I don't know, just, it's, like, all of these things that we don't think about when we really, like, the entire, and our healthcare system is, like, barely functioning on a good day, I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) So, maybe not a reassuring perspective, but. I don't know. I mean, I I do like that um, we can focus on people who who need help that are having a different are having different problems um yeah and and you know i feel like at the at the core of this on some level is just about mutual aid and maybe maybe it's mutual aid but not just with you know the immediate 15 people around you um and only the anarchists you know maybe it's mutual aid with you know that old lady who lives three three years down three doors down from you who you're absolutely positive is in her 70s or 80s and and Mm -hmm. you know does does she have family do people check on her does she need things maybe maybe she should go out less and or maybe you can help her i don't know it's i mean part of me sounds like really this is the best that we have to offer offer um but part of me also feels like this is so simple in so many ways um, because we right. do need to feed each, you know, we need to eat and we need to be, we need to feel like we're safe and we need to not feel stressed and anxious and full of fear and, um, and not feel alone. And, and I don't know, like that part kind of seems less hard to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the solutions that are of course, like being presented to us, in the media are like all the solutions that are like 100% part of the problem. Like, Oh, you're quarantined. Like get Uber eats, like get someone from Instacart to come and deliver your groceries. It's like, great. A person who has zero access to paid sick leave and like has to go to work in order to get paid, even if they're sick, like they can go do your grocery shopping for you. Um, which like, you know, I mean, people have to live, like, I don't know. It's, it's a complicated situation, but I think that like, we can probably find better ways to deal with that, or at least I hope we can. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that the anarchists can do better. Thank you so much for your time and your thoughts, Violet. You uh, stay, stay healthy there in the Northeast. I'll try to, you too. Okay. Have a good week, everyone. The flu pandemic and it swept the whole world wide. It caught soldiers and civilians and they died, died, died. Whether lying in the trenches or lying in their beds, 20 million of them got it.
and they're dead. This week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. The What's New was written and read by Chisel and Greg. The editorial was by Greg. And we thank Ariel and a friend for their help with the topic of the week, pandemic. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. My number's up, my lap drive gone and caught the flu. It was the flu pandemic, and it swept the whole world wide. It caught soldiers and civilians, and they died, died, died. Whether lying in the trenches or lying in their beds, 20 million of them got it, and they're dead, dead, dead.